Good afternoon, everyone. And we're in a new city and a new day, as always. Uh, I think I'm in Arizona right now, and I want to welcome my best mentor, my friend. Uh, he is there with rosy cheeks. It's like he's got some sunshine somewhere uh, in his past. The amazing Blaine Bartlett. BlaineBartlett.com. Change your mind, change your life. And he has changed mine. Thank you for joining me, my friend. That's absolutely my pleasure. I wouldn't miss this for the world. You know that. <laughs> I know. And best is uh, he's a subject matter expert in an area that you and I are always seeking more knowledge and perspective on as far as growing business. Uh, he is a world-renowned consultant and author. He wrote a book, uh, Blaine, called The Growth Leader. And interesting enough, uh, he talks about two of my favorite things, the top and the bottom lines. Uh, and and in there, <laughs> Scott Edinger has walked the walk and talked the talk for many years. Uh, as such, we wanted to have him on. Welcome, Scott Edinger. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Now, I have a question I've been dying to ask. Is, you know, in the book, um, it really dives into how some of the top executives that you've worked with and others uh, have worked through growth and uh, time, emotion, and value is changing so quickly. It's always changing, but it's changing so quickly. Right. Um, there has to be some common denominators. Uh, for me, one of those that was ringing true as we read the book, it was timing risk tolerance as a leader. Whenever we're trying to determine these tops and bottoms lines, there has to be some sort of alignment with stable data and the only piece of stable data that i can find to help stabilize the ever change changing rapid changing is you know understanding timing and risk tolerance um where does that interplay in growth leadership when you're creating a strategy for the top bottom line well nothing um offsets the fear and and of risk uh, and increases risk tolerance, like building a healthy and predictable revenue stream. So uh, <laughs> the the primary focus in the growth leader is how do you as a leader drive the top and bottom line? I think one of the things that uh, a lot of the more financially focused leaders tend to forget is that in an effort to focus on the bottom line, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the fact that the fastest and most effective path to a healthy bottom line is to have a consistent and healthy top line. You get that part of it right, mm. it makes the job a lot easier. So, so much of the focus on risk tolerance is about how do you drive, create, further develop a healthy and predictable revenue stream. That's where most of the focus of the growth leader is. Yeah, free it. cash flow. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, you, you're one of the things that uh, I'm interested in with with the book here, and I'm just going to you know, ch check my crib notes over here. Um, profitable growth. Some. <laughs> oh, I've got them. <laughs> yeah, I'd be lost oh, yeah. without we're, them. We're, good at, we're good at that. Our team is really good. It's right on. The, but you, you talk about the intersection of strategy, leadership, and sales. And I want to put this in kind of a, a Venn diagram, you yeah. know, sort of a structure here. So you got strategy, leadership, and sales. That intersection of those three, what populates the intersection of those three? Yeah, it's it's so easy to treat those things differently, right? You mm -hmm. think about leadership skills and the development of leadership skills and then crafting, formulating, executing business strategy and then get sales out and, and sell. But the real power 
is the uh, interplay between the three, that overlapping Venn diagram right in the center of it, right? And when a leader operates there, uh, they use their leadership skills, of course, to inspire and motivate growth in their organization, their number one focus. Oddly, some lose sight of that, uh, but they use their leadership to focus on that. They formulate strategies that don't forget the sales function and don't forget the fact that sales is the execution of your strategy in the market every day. So that's the short answer of what it looks like. We can go into more depth on that, but so many leaders treat those three things separately. The power is treating them together and not forgetting that sales is strategy and action. Focus your efforts there, lead and inspire there. You'll find success and growth. Yeah. And that's great. With this top, with this top line perspective, uh, we are constantly playing with the bottom line. There's one variable that we haven't mentioned that is, you know, for, for me, it's interesting today with AI, with VA, with remote working, and it's people. And, you know, I love uh, Walter Isaacson and, you know, he's done jobs and he's done Einstein and now he did Musk. And he really does a nice job of getting into the emotions uh, of great leaders and growth leaders. But yet they all have varying relationships with the people that work with them, uh, as you know, with jobs and especially us. Empathy for those that work with us was not one of their greater qualities, but yet I can't think of two greater growth leaders than Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, even though they get thrown out of their own companies all the time because they don't have any empathy. What does the future look like leader with their relationships with their employees and other executives, the people that they work with? So having never worked with Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, and certainly, of course, uh, so, so many of the others that Isaacson has portrayed. Or Einstein. Um, or Einstein, <laughs> for that matter. I never got to work with him either. He's um, to work with him. <laughs> yeah. So if you, but I, I would be willing to bet that even if they lacked empathy, if, even though we know they do <laughs> lack plenty of empathy and lack in other places, that they fostered a powerful emotional connection with their people. There are a lot of ways to do that. And I dig into some of that in the growth leader, having done some research on how do you inspire and motivate and looked at tens of thousands of leaders and the ability to make an emotional connection. And again, there's a lot of ways to do that is the keystone characteristic here because uh, it, it's not just about empathy, rather, and, and it's also not just about wild displays of emotions or excessive emotionality, group sharing or therapy or something. It's about how do you connect as people? So you can do that. You know, I think Jobs and Musk are often portrayed as being high drive for results. Well, they understand nothing brings that team together like winning. So they're not afraid to take on big challenges and they attract to them people who want to do that and they connect and they galvanize support around that. So it is a way to make an emotional connection. You can do it with enthusiasm and energy, of course. We all have that sort of vision. You can also do it with anger if you use it well. Mm -hmm. Put a pause there. Like not, again, uh, blowing up on someone and pushing them away, but rather getting behind the anger and talking about things that you're both genuinely concerned about or that your team is frustrated about or that this organization should be worried about, the things that drive anger. So there are a lot of ways to make that emotional connection. Empathy, of course, is incredibly powerful, but it has a lot of flavors to it. If you do it well, you lead people to growth. How about Jewish guilt? Yeah. Hey, Jewish guilt, yeah. Jewish guilt, yeah. I got plenty of that growing up. 
yeah. that's but well, again well, you know it's like you it's you, we both sort of laugh about three of us laugh about that but it's a it's a point of connection it certainly moves others to action it does yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, one real quick comment and it's not so much a question but it's something i want to mark out that you know i hope it didn't just appear as a drive-by when you said it yeah it's yeah, jobs in, in Musk in particular here. I mean, those are archetypes. Hard driving, hard you know, results. I mean, just kind of in your face sort of an uh, uh and, and I know folks that worked with Steve, uh, know him very well. And he was exactly as he's portrayed. The caveat, though, was he was always in pursuit of this enormous objective. And if you're that kind of a person and you're trying to get people lined up against a teeny tiny little, let's get a 14% increase on our sales objective next year, you're going to piss people off. <laughs> right. You're not going to inspire them because there's right. no inspiration in that incremental goal. Inspiration comes when you don't know how the hell you're going to get there. And that's the, that's the gold. Yeah. I think that's such an important perspective on it too, because it won't work for everybody. But for the people who are inspired and motivated to do that, it works for them. So that's a great yeah. way to form a connection. And again, it, the more approaches you can use, you know, when I ask people, tell me about your most inspiring leader ever. One of the things I hear about often, they invested in me. They helped to coach me. They developed me. They helped me fulfill my potential. Well, that's a great way to connect with people also. You line up that along with drive for results and the ability to be energetic well, you start to stack these on top of each other. You've got real inspiring and motivating leadership. So you can find more about that in the growth leader strategies to drive the top and bottom lines, uh, revealing so many uh, situational knowledge that he's gained from being an expert in his space, a consultant, specializing with some of the biggest companies in the world and the greatest leaders uh, that have given us the growth, not just for their companies, but for our own economy. Thank you so much, Scott. Come back and join us. We have other shows. Scott Edger, check him out at scottedger.com. The Growth Leader. Follow it, learn it, love it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. I'd love to come back. Anytime. Great. Love to have you. We'll get you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right. Love that. Oh, the man in the wings now. We have the CEO of Alliance Virtual Offices. Talk about one of the most important subject matters when it comes to business today. Uh, Frank Kyle is giving us his insight in his book, Working on the Move, talking about flexible working anytime, anywhere, uh, which was a little peek into the future, and it looks like it's here to stay. Welcome to Office Hours, Frank Cottle. Hey, thank you very much, David. My pleasure to be here. Well, I'm dealing with the flexible working uh, atmosphere today, and uh, the only benefit that I have seen uh, beyond uh the freedoms that are given is that uh, the fear of having to go in the office from nine to five and uh, it really uh, not engaged or accessible in my company. I tell them they have to share an office with Justin uh, and come into the office from nine to five. And then everybody seems to pick up their productivity, uh, especially Reluca, because she's terrified of him, right, Reluca? I'm not terrified of him, but I do enjoy working from home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, good. I wanted some real life uh, feedback. Anyway, um, you and Blaine and I, we've been around long. I never anticipated the freedom that we're able to give. Uh, what are some of the challenges as leaders to provide the flexible working environment? 
to keep people engaged and accessible? Well, I, th I think the first challenge of all leadership is to kind of look back over your shoulder and make sure everybody's still there. No matter what your vision is, uh, you, you do have to make sure that people are coming along with you. Um, uh, but most leaders in today's business world didn't say, you know what? I'm going to create a flexible workplace. Uh, most, most leaders got sandbagged with the pandemic. Uh, they got sandbagged with the talent wars that started in 15, 16, 17, when employees, particularly in the tech industry, uh, high-end programmers said, you know what? No, I'm not moving to Silicon Valley. I'm great. You want to hire me? I'm staying in Kentucky or Texas or Ho Chi Minh City wherever it happened to be. And so the talent wars started, uh, I think the remote work revolution in the middle of, it's really an evolution. Um, and a leader today really has to rethink themselves first. What are my goals and how, how am I gonna accomplish it? And it's not about me anymore, it, it really isn't. It's about how you can help people to balance their work life uh, so that they have satisfaction overall, and so that you sustain your, your team and your employee group. Uh, life cycle in a customer is important. It's even more important as you're building an organization. That, you know, that piece is really, I think, interesting, Frank. You know, life cycle, people will think of it in terms of customer, in terms of product. They don't think of it in terms of employee. And yeah, particularly today, how do we retain? I mean, I mean, replacing people is expensive proposition. How do we retain people? And just the question that I love that gets answered by working remotely is, is the question of, yeah, how productive can I be when agency is, is brought into play, where I actually act as if and I'm treated as if I know what the hell I'm doing. And I and you can count on me to actually deliver, even if I don't have somebody overseeing me all the time. Well, that transition. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? I think I think I can. First, I'll bring up a uh, an accounting perspective. I'll put on my accounting hat, which I'm not an accountant, but I'm gonna put on that hat for uh, for a second. Um, <clears throat> employee life cycle. You can actually capitalize your costs mm -hmm. of acquiring and your termination costs. It's not an operating expense. It's actually considered a capital investment. Okay, so think of that for a minute. Do you guard your investments more than your cash flow? Absolutely, you should. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you start with that premise, uh, and I don't know where I'm going with this, I'm just making it up as I go here. Um, yeah, but that's you start, yeah, you're in good company here. I was gonna say. Premise, uh, overall, and then you say, well, how do I expect the people that I bring in? And I said, well, you're going to work remotely. Number one, if I put a job on Indeed today and I include the term available uh, to re work remotely or work remotely is option or three-day work remote is option, anything like that, I'll get up to a thousand percent more uh, responses. Well, my labor pool just got huge as an opportunity by making that one change. How hard is it? Uh, David, I don't know where you are. Lane, I don't know where you are. I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. 
How hard is it for us to communicate right now? You I don't know about you, but I had my first video system in my office in 1982. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this progression of technology, and pretty soon we'll be meeting around a holographic table. And, you know, this progression of technology has made it so easy to communicate and to accept each other virtually, as opposed to having to be in the each other's rooms. Uh, and it it is very, people are very comfortable with that now. The challenge is always that you hear from CEOs, oh, my culture is collapsing. I've, I've got to get everybody back to the office or the culture is going to collapse. And I say, dude, you didn't have a culture to begin with then. <laughs> uh, you don't have anything that's strong enough to keep people together unless you can walk around and touch each other. That's kind of sad. Okay, but you see that. The real reason people like Jamie Dimon are trying to get people back to the office it's because he's got an empty company headquarters that's costing him a $10 million a month. It's a wasting asset and his shareholders are pissed. Yeah. That's not a culture. Yep. My opinion. Yeah, my opinion only. Yeah, I, I agree with that opinion. My, my um, last question. Uh, I think there's a nuance for once again, people have been around the block a few times like us three. Um, and I see it with people that leave my company and, and I think there's a separation between how productive these kids are. And, and when I say that, Frank, I mean that we can't fathom as traditional leaders, uh, even though we understand technology and I've been like you, I started my career out of law school with Westlaw and I've been in middleware, hardware, sure. uh, developed. I still don't think I have a really good grasp on Reluca, for example, how productive she actually is utilizing the technology. So I think I'm underestimating most of my employees. They get in a day because they're remote or I provide unlimited PTO, I have complete mm -hmm. remote, uh, all things I do. I, I think I'm, because they're so brilliant and such great employees that although they get twice as much done and we're twice as profitable, half of me thinks that half of my employees could get 10 times more done if I was pushing them somehow, or I knew how the heck they were getting so much done already. Is, is there some thing here that I'm, you know, that, that people are working two, three jobs when everybody thinks they're working full time? Uh, uh, first, and uh, I hope this isn't too insulting, but you're an old style manager. <laughs> you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. It it it's all about empowerment. We talk about empowerment, but you really have to do it, not talk about it. So we have a little speech we give when somebody comes to work. Uh, and, uh, and I've been in the flexible workspace industry for 43 years. So, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with what's going on and how these things have been changing on a cyclical basis, on an economic basis. But we give them a little speech about, you know, how cool it is to work with us. And then we say one thing. Here's the one thing we'll fire you for. Absolutely. It's if you cannot make your own decisions. And we will fire somebody that can't make decisions because they slow everybody else down, whether they're in the office or working remotely, no matter what it is. If you hire people that are incapable of making their own decisions, you should fire them. They don't belong. If you do hire people that are capable of making their own decisions, then everything you're just talking about, worrying about, doesn't matter. It just doesn't. 
And, and we, we find that people make those decisions and boy, do they screw the pooch sometimes. They really mess it up. And that's part of the process of growth. How many mistakes have you all made? I know I've made more than my share. Okay. But that's part of the process of growth. And if you're there to support people when they make errors as a result of their own decisions, rather than tell them how to go about their daily job, you end up with an incredible team. And it's not a generational gap issue like a lot of companies hire. We generally hire, uh, right now we're in the middle of hiring, almost everybody who hires Gen Z now. We're hiring at the very earliest stage possible. We're hiring in college interns and bringing them up into the company. Mm -hmm. And we don't ever lose anybody. Our employee life cycle per, per year term well, I'll use my own executive team in this particular company, which started about 2003, the Alliance Virtual Company that we're talking about. I've not lost a single executive since 2003. Yeah. Yeah. My, my company is. So, the last fight. Let people know my head chief marketing officer is in Kentucky. My chief financial officer and CTO are both in Vegas. I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, and my chief administrative officer is in Monterey, Mexico. Mm -hmm. That's why we have you here, the incredible Frank Tunnel, giving us the insight on how to empower others, to empower others to do the work, showing us a glimpse of the future of work and how the flexible living will you, uh, as Frank does, to be on the beach whether he's windsurfing, surfing or cycling, uh, he <laughs> we did not get into more, more productive, more accessible and more gracious than most of the Gen Z. And of course us boomers. Thanks, Frank. We're going to have you back. I have so many questions and, uh, thank you for helping us understand how much we can get done, uh, with gratitude from different places around the world. Incredible. Well, thank you. My pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Anytime. Frank. We'll circle Thanks. back with you. We got a couple of different shows. All right. We better we better make Frank. Uh, I love that. Um, I still think that, uh, as you know, empowering employees that 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 we we d cannot estimate the capability they have. I may have misquoted oh. what I was trying to do. Uh, there's so much. I mean, you, you and I work with Justin, for example, my chief media officer, and the amount that he gets done in a day. Oh. He, it is truly you know extraordinary and I, I always think like wow if if everybody had you know and used technology like he does and which is why we mentor all the way down like like frank does you know we start justin was an intern uh, colleen was an intern nick was an intern all my creatives came nick quit college early to come during COVID, I didn't quit college he graduated early his mom graduated thank you <laughs> exactly <laughs> anyway <laughs> Speaking of the genesis of the new workforce, we have Genesis here. Genesis Emery Foley is in the house, the founder, the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of Blueprint House Agency in San Francisco. Genesis. Uh oh, I think the connection is a little bit funny. Hi, everybody. Yeah. Hi, you're doing fine. Hi. We hear you fine. Maybe we're we're funny. <laughs> Well, we'll give it a shot with a little bit of a delay. Um, you know, digital courses and webinars are so valuable today. And so many people have a greater 
ability to learn at a very inexpensive uh, way. And you don't have to spend years and years. We can take the greatest in their fields, the winning CMOs of the world to teach uh, the steps to be successful. And I always say that fastest way to get to where you want to be is find someone that's already there and ask them for directions. And you are giving amazing success tips, digital courses. You have a blue print uh, agency webinar where people can learn those lessons and not have to pay the dummy tax that all of us have paid to get to where we want to be as well. Um, how have you found uh, the new role of education impacting our ability to advance uh, not only our skills and our knowledge, but also our desire. Sure. Um, I would say in the new role of education and how it's impacting our skills and future innovations and ways that we disrupt industry uh, uh, competitive workplaces, I would say it really comes down to creating change and staying up to date as far as what's happening in the world around us. There's so much happening in terms of the political structure, the competitive business landscape, company layoffs, um, and employees getting laid off here left and right, companies still trying to find a way to compete against very tough marketplaces, and then really trying to reach their correct target audience. And so I think with that being said, there's always room for growth and opportunity to embrace new learnings and to step outside of the box to create your own game plan. Because we're getting into a point where you know things are serious. We're hearing a lot of news around us where things are always changing. And with AI and new technology, we need to be able to stand abreast so that we can abreast, embrace that change and so we can get ahead of it and not behind it. Now, you've got about 15 years or so of experience with uh, yeah, entrepreneurship, but I'm interested here in digital marketing as it applies to you know, brand communication and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, part of, yeah, can you describe a typical client and how you would actually work with them? I guess yeah would be one way for for me to understand a little bit better about where where your specific focus is. Sure. So with my agency, the Blueprint House, we specialize in working with startups. We also service non for profits and some of the world's largest global corporations. Yep. But our passion is really the startup community because I believe that that's the audience that really needs the most help because they tend to lack that expertise when it comes to the marketing side. They have a product or service and they have this great, bright idea, but they need help bringing it to market and to create messaging around it so that their ideal customer profile understands that they can actually offer a solution. So what I do is I come in as the visionary, the orchestrator of how to build out a brand, how to communicate that brand and create a story around it and essentially how to sell it in ways that are going to be compelling and yeah. solve a pain point so that people understand that this is something that can actually solve my challenge and bring a solution to me. And that's the hard part, really resonating and building a relationship with your audience, cultivating that relationship, nurturing leads and keeping people back in your funnel as a loyal brand evangelist and as someone willing to tell their community the great things that your brand is doing so that they'll come back too. So I specialize in helping startups to really hone in on their sweet spot so they can competitively um, really rock things up in the industry against their competitors who have already done it successfully. Perfect. That's great. Thank you. And utilizing that uh, in order to elevate a brand so that there's more options, opportunities, touches of favor, more equity. Uh, I'm starting a fund specifically, and I know I have to say this quickly because it gets misconstrued, but 
I am starting a fund uh, that only men can participate in the fund, but we only fund women and women of color particularly uh, because of the complete atrocity of, I, I truly believe this, if you take out Stanford graduates, I believe that less than 2% of the 73% of people on earth that are either women or of color, less than 2% that didn't go to Stanford get funded. And so uh, part of that is having people like you that are empowering these startups in order to get them into a position that there's a quantitative value because it's proven now we have enough data. We've been around long enough that the better investment is in women and particularly women of color uh, are much better statistical success uh, in investment, but yet we can't get any money to them. How can we utilize digital marketing to raise and elevate the brands, but also to tell the story of quantitative value to exceed uh, what people are asking for to get them prepared for, uh, you know, in, you know, uh, an unlearning that needs to be done sometimes on an intentional bias, but a social bias that absolutely statistically exists. How much of what you do helps that equity that's overdue and so, so much needed. I would say really helping people to number one, first and foremost, understanding their why. And then being able to communicate that why to the right audience. I believe that with startups, one of the biggest challenges I've seen is that everyone feels that their product is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But does your community believe that too? And so if you're only you know, offering a book just for yourself because you believe it's you know, the bestseller, how does that help the audience if your audience doesn't believe in that? If you don't create community buy-in and you really can't appeal to their needs and to solve a pain point for them, you're going to always struggle. And with digital marketing, the way that comes in is that you're able to really effectively reach your audiences based on where they are and where they can be found. You can target their their interests. You can also really take some time to social listen to them to see what it is that is more riveting and gravitating for them. So you can understand how to best communicate with them and communicate your brand um, articulated story. And I think that's what goes a long way in digital marketing. Sure, there's also the component of sales and driving conversions, of course, because all businesses want to drive revenue and make money. If we're not selling, we're not doing anything. However, it's how we get to that point. And I think with using the lens of digital marketing and digital brand communications, we have more advanced structures and scientific ways of reaching the right people, understanding and uncovering their needs and finding different time tested ways that are proven to really accelerate our growth long term. Great. Love it. Awesome. Well, playing you good? I'm good. Yeah. Um, I got my question well, answered. This is really good stuff. I, I thought, you know, Blaine's on a different time zone than I am. So I never know if he has a last question, if he's just perplexed. Uh, so that's awesome. It's usually the latter. Very good. Blueprinthouse.com. Founder of <coughs> Marketing Officer, uh, Genesis Emery Polar. We have fully, we have other uh, shows as well, and we'd love to allow you to shine and communicate even better. If you're looking for someone to help your startup success, give you tips, there's a webinar, go ahead, reach out. We can't find someone better. We appreciate you joining us and thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Genesis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We should have put Genesis first, don't you think? Yeah, kind no, of- I was just thinking about that at the beginning. Genesis. Come on, Luca. you got to think of these things. <laughs> First, you know what, but look, if you don't start thinking of things, I'm going to make you share an office with Justin. All right. Anyways, 
uh, <laughs> Nick's in the background. He's, he's holding his breath. He's laughing so hard. <laughs> My favorite part of this show, take, so, take away of the day. Blaine, take what's a, your take, take away here? Uh, connection today. I'm going to just kind of run with connection. Um, the connection to the, you know, you know, just take Genesis. How do I connect to the pain point of my buyer? You know, that's, that's going to be the, the Genesis of my ability to move forward. Um, agency. Yeah. Yeah. People want to feel autonomous. They want to feel as if they can do something and they've got to connect to something that allows them to yeah generate meaning for themselves. that allows things to move forward. And then, yeah, with our first guest, uh, just being able to just say, Hey, yeah, what's the big, yeah, the big, big thing out there that uh, you could get excited about? And then let's go run for it. So, can, yeah, what do we connect with? It gives meaning to what we're doing and who we are. Absolutely. And, you know, my takeaway is although things happen so fast today, um, and as I study more history and, you know, we look at, you know, I, I love those Isaacson books of yeah. Jobs and Einstein and, and Musk. Um, but human nature never changes. And, you know, through these extraordinary guests, you can see how the top and the bottom line are still important as they were in history. Uh, obviously, um, in the context of, you know, Father Time, Frank Cottle, uh, you know, he really deals with just nature. And you look at him and you're thinking, this is the last guy that understands flexible workspace and the future of work better than anyone else, but he does. Uh, and you have the extraordinary genesis that uh, understands human nature and how do we build our bench. And that's what she's doing is really preparing our bench uh, for the next generation, which is pretty cool because her name suits that very well, even though we should have put her first. Uh, you also helped to, uh, me at least, to find the light, the love, and lessons in human nature and how to make it applicable to a greater place, a better place, a better situation, looking over your right shoulder at compassionate capitalism and so many other things that you do to create the soul of business to help people make more money, help more people in itself and have more fun, which is what I do every time I get to hang out with you. Thank you. I know your time is extremely valuable for joining me every week here on Office Hours. My friend, Blaine Bartlett, blainebartlett.com. Thank you. Hey, and, and we are together with Craig on Saturday. Craig Siegel. Oh, Star that's a treat. Paradigm around. Shift. We don't miss a week, Craig and I. Paradigm Shift, although we're at yeah. uh, episode 579 here. We're way ahead of Craig. Okay, it's yes, so we are. Nope. You can catch us. We don't stop, so he'll never catch us. Anyway, I certainly <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a good chat on Saturday morning, 7 a.m. <laughs> 48 hours. Now, well, that's in 40, 36 hours. We'll see you. <laughs> okay. Take care, buddy. Thank you, brother. You got it. All right, everyone. I got to get to the airport. Uh, we are being orange on Saturday. Besides the paradigm shift, I'm speaking at the quantum event there in Orange and doing a meetup there as well. So go ahead. Uh, next week will be a Dropbox uh, in San, San Francisco and then the Super Bowl and then the NBA All-Star Game. Before we know it, it'll be Christmas. Email me, david at emailster.com. Text me, 949 298-2905 to find out where we're going to be next. We are blessed. 200 cities in 2024, raising money for the Unstoppable Foundation. I want to thank everybody for always showing up. 
But most importantly, remember, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. We'll see you later. Thank you, everyone.